BTOG, World Lung and ESMO 2021 in an hour. Uh, my name is Tom Newsom Davis. I'm a medical oncologist at Chelsea, um, and I'm pleased to say also the vice chair of the BTOG Steering Committee. Uh, this uh, meeting is uh, made possible by including the good people of MSD, Takeda, Lily, Boring, Ingelheim, and BMS. And we thank you them for their assistance. Um, so, uh, as you know, the people who run BTOG really are Dawn and Gina. If you have any questions regarding BTOG, if you're not websites there or use the uh, email there as well. And skipping on to the next one, um, I will obviously send a question here, here, and I can ask the questions of the learned panel. Um, you can be brave and put your name and where you're from, and that's much more fun, or because frankly, it's the best bit. Um, please give your feedback if you can, um, and if you are collecting for your CPD diary, this is our, our. So without further ado, here is the agenda. This is me doing my welcome. We're first up in my expert panel is uh, David Gilligan. David is going to talk to us about the uh, updates in radiotherapy from World Lung uh, and ESMO. Uh, David, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, I shall be talking to you um, this evening about uh, some of were uh, at World Lung, ESMO, and also a sneaky bit of estro as well. Uh, I think it's fair to say that there were three RCTs to talk about, but um, I think that a lot of the presentations that practice and, and some of the questions that we have in our MDT, um, some of the questions that come up regularly, and we'll go through them uh, in the next few slides. So that might benefit from post-operative radiotherapy or port. And last year I had the uh, pleasure of from the lung art study, which randomized patients to either post-operative radiotherapy or not in addition to their N2 disease. And for those of you who um, don't recall, there was no difference in at uh, ESMO. Uh, Cecilia Lipichu presented the um, patterns of uh, relapse. And so that uh, in this slide, um, at the top, the top line, um, that mediastinal relapse, um, uh, and that is perhaps not at all surprising. There was no difference really in any uh, distant metastasis relapse. There were more deaths in the port arm. And you can see from the highlighted area that in the pulmonary toxicity, and there were also higher rates of grade three and grade four uh, toxicity as well. So looking at the patterns of relapse, and I thought this was, was quite interesting, uh, on the left here, um, mediastinal relapse uh, mainly is the less frequently in the port arm, but for right-sided tumours, the areas where you, you can see there are 4R, 2R and 7, but interestingly for literally 4R, um, which I thought was quite an interesting when we're looking at patterns of relapse uh, in our patients. That it, it, in terms of the prognostic factors for uh, DFS, these are listed in the table on the right, and you can see uh, involved uh, N2 nodes, those that are um, involved DFS, and also not surprisingly, the quality of resection. So R1 and R2 are not good things. Uh, this was a slide which I think probably illustrates the data 
most clearly uh, and most effectively um, that for the porto arm there's obviously much less mediastinal relapse but both mediastinal relapse and distant metastasis seem to occur in in the port arm, you can see that as time progresses five years and onwards, that there is an increased incidence of death. Look at why that is. And obviously the data that was shown um, is concerning for cardiac. Um, anything that um, really, there were no robust evidence of any predictive factors for port uh, on DFS. In some greater detail, there's some, there were some presentations at ESTRO, the ESTRO meeting at the end of August, which I think are very interesting and, and perhaps I put one in the ones in um, blue and uh, green, that cardiac death relates to cardiac admission and therapy dose. So they looked at um, 1,200 patients um, who had radical radiotherapy with the regime listed there, 55 and 20 disease, and that the mean um, dose to the LAD correlates with cardiac admission post-radiotherapy and cardiac death. They, they looked at uh, two years uh, post-radiotherapy, dose to the region at the base of the heart in the left coronary artery region in AV would be highly significant with respect to overall survival. And then a Dutch group um, presented some data um, looking at uh, um, some of the predicted toxicity of cardiac, um, cardiac toxicity can be lessened by using uh, protons. So some interesting why and maybe try to um, avoid further um, cardiac toxicity. Um, another question which comes up in the MDT is, you know, is, is there an, um, a group of patients on expanding adjuvant immunotherapy in stage three chemo RT? And two studies were um, uh, uh, discussed at, uh, never able to say this, Sujmali, Map, which is that in anti PDL1, not PD1. I apologize for that. It had less 3A disease, so more advanced stage 3 disease, more squamous cell carcinoma than Pacific. But also, interestingly, they were allowed to be, and they also received two years, not one year, of adjuvant immunotherapy. And it's very small, but you can see that the benefit of the immunotherapy for both sequential and concurrent. And then on the right, uh, in the what's called an expanded access program from AstraZeneca, um, looking at um, patients treated with from uh, uh, 11 countries were uh, enrolled in this program. And that is quite a substantial number when you look. And <clears throat> in that study, the median um, PFS was in fact better, although, although that could be from um, any treatment bias that, um, or any reporting bias that might be seen. But important sequential chemo radiotherapy, which was allowed in just over 200 patients in the group, there was also a benefit. Sorry. Can I have the next slide, please? Thank you. So was, if we have uh, early stage non-small non cell lung cancer that isn't being treated, <clears throat> Uh, Zhang reported a systemic review and pooled analysis over 20 years looking at SABA versus RFA, but with many more patients, 12,000 versus 1,500 for RFA. Um, and this is a group of patients where um, that from the surgery versus SABA studies, but the local control rate <coughs> excuse me, was um, the overall survival rates at three and five years going out seemed to be better in the SABA group. 
with their imanumiforax rate in um, RFA. Next slide, please. Um, he is adding <coughs> um, radiotherapy, both um, CRT and PCI, to uh, chemoimmunotherapy in the uh, light of the IMPAR study. <coughs> and this is a very a poster from um, a very small single center retrospective analysis where they added in consolidation chemo uh, consolidation regime. And uh, this is the, the results are in the long table. Now, I think the most important thing to 13 patients in the immunotherapy group and 16 in the no immunotherapy, where there were no, <clears throat> where there were no incidents in the um, no immunotherapy group, there was some in the immunotherapy, one grade two and one grade three. And I think it's very difficult, something that we all need to know and would like to know a little bit more uh, about. And so that might be a basis for. And then finally, um, I think we've got to ask what on earth do we do and where are we at with um, treatment relapse in small cell lung cancer. And there was a very good joint uh, IALC extra session at the world's um, discussing some very important topics, but I just wanted to highlight um, where we are with PCI. So there, there have been avoidance that's trying to uh, avoid treating the area that is most associated with uh, memory recall and cognitive function used in the assessing cognitive function. And an area that I think is taxing us all in our MDT is whether to give PCI the MR surveillance might be possible in some healthcare settings, although I don't know if it is uh, universally feasible, particularly in the UN MR. But um, from that, there was discussion about the EORTC Prima Lung trial, which is coming soon, which will randomize our overall survival, quality of life, and cognitive function. And it will include patients with both limited and extensive disease, and you're allowed to give a new theory. Uh, next slide, please. So uh, these are the questions from the MDT, and then red marks that might benefit from port. Well, no, but we need a better understanding of the cardiac toxicity. Can we expand the benefits of chemo-RT to give it? Although I have to say that um, more and more, I personally am using concomitant and, and really forgetting about sequential chemo. Well, Sabre, but we don't, we, we don't think we'll ever get a good large RCT to give us the answer. Can we add in RT to chemo? And we're still not really clear on the best strategy for CNS and SCLC, but more evidence will be on its way soon. So in summary of the uh, radiotherapy <laughs> changes, I like how you stuck a bit of estro in there as well. Um, keep your questions coming, guys, and getting this on the, on the phone when it does. 1,500 people registered uh, and potentially online for this event. So you're in the audience there, one of a band of large number of people. I'm going to turn to my colleague, Professor Samuel Armwed, who works up in Leicester, both as a thoracic oncologist and a breast oncologist. And Samuel's going to take us ESMO and ask her. She told me to cut her off precisely at 10 minutes if she talks too much, and so that's what I'm going to do. Sam. Nice overview. Thank you, Paul Tog, for inviting me to do this. Um, this is a lot of um, slides, so please bear with me. I'll try. So this is the plan. They asked me to tell you about small cell lung cancer, and they asked me to cover TKIs or um, sexy drugs that are coming into lung cancer soon. So you can all relax. There's no practice changing presentations from what there is to come. Okay, so we'll kick off with small cell lung cancer. So this was the Atlantis study. Uh, 
um, at World Lung. So just to give you a little bit of background on lurbinectidin, this is FDA approved drug for second line small mechanisms of action, inhibiting cell migration, reducing cancer related inflammation, and then therefore inducing apoptosis. And Atlantis study, a very straightforward um, design looking at second line small cell lung cancer, lurbinectidin in combatican um, or CAV, the patients who progressed on first line were excluded. There are a number of stratification factors. Um, um, this is the uh, uh, overall intention treat population. And I'm afraid there was no difference between stratification factors. There wasn't any group that was leaning towards the lerbinectidin arm. And when we look at activity with lerbinectidin, that wasn't statistically proven. And then when we look at stratification factors, that was awesome. And of course, we all know that the farther you're out from platinum-based treatment, you're probably going to do better uh, in the long run anyway. It didn't um, look as if it had less toxicity than your standard CAV or topotecan. However, that was not going to be enough for... So staying with um, small cell lung cancer and uh, run with Luis, uh, he presented a three-year Overall, so David's already alluded to MPAL133, which looked at tezolizumab um, in combination with platinum doublet. This comes, uh, the main study is Devalumab with platinum uh, doublet, and then there was a second arm with Devalumab and Tremolumab, seeing, and then primary endpoint overall survival. Um, there wasn't particular stratification. The first um, uh, primary endpoint at three years, we, we all saw the, that it met its primary endpoint at 12, three years, and it's nice to see that, that that's, um, those two curves remain separated and looks like the typical I three years, 17% of patients on the devalumab and combination arm versus 5.8% uh, for the platinum. A four addition of tremulumumab doesn't seem to be a significant improvement over that of Devalumab alone. Definitely wouldn't be leaning towards the combination arm, i.e. Devalumab and Tremolumumab. If you look at the leading um, uh, adverse excess deaths compared to 6% on the platinum doublet arm only and 5% on the, uh, with the addition of Devalumab. Definitely go for the Devalumab and platinum doublet arm. Really establishing the place of immunotherapy. There is for small cell and move swiftly on to non-small cell lung cancer. And you've seen this pie chart lots of times and the um, slice of the KRAS mutation. There isn't any update um, here today, but what I'll mainly be focusing on is um, yeah, resistance. To give you a little bit of background, so resistance to EGFR, TKI is acquired resistance, which is inevitable. Um, Utilise combination therapy here. Um, Co-mutations may uh, predict poor performance, um, poor of interest and of further research. So if we start by looking at what do we do post EGFRT and is there any addition, um, additional benefit to giving single agent um, IO and this shows you no there isn't, we're still better off giving us what about with compared to docetaxel and again docetaxel seems to perform better than nivolumab in this EGFR mutant cohort point inhibitors like we have done for the um, other non-mutated non-small cell lung cancer and that doesn't look as if that's giving driving it 
So what about VEGF um, inhibition or antibodies? So antiangiogenics, as you know, bevacizumab to chemotherapy and atezolizumab uh, gave a little bit of extra advantage um, once you progress um, drug co um, uh, combinations of carb carboplatin, paclitaxel, atezolizumab, and bevacizumab, and that showed the antiangiogenesis component. So on the basis of that, we had this Beverly trial, which is an Italian consortium, and presented Maria Piccarillo, and this is uh, all just Italian centers uh, exclusively, looking at the standard arm was allotinib, and then addition of bevacizumab with allotinib. And the thought was really that this would perhaps, TKI works, and perhaps some cohorts would benefit from adding a VEGF antibody. And here's the baseline here, um, uh, uh, two-thirds versus one-third. Also, the non-smokers, if you look at a higher proportion of former and current smokers in this cohort than we would normally expect. A smidgen of um, improvement with adding bevacizumab. However, this is not statistically significant, either for PFS or overall survival subgroups, and so not predefined um, specified subgroups. Uh, looking at smoking history seemed to be a little bit of uh, really not statistically worn out. So staying in this same um, theme of adding in azimertinib this time um, uh, and with the addition of bevacizumab. This was a purely Japanese effort, um, primary endpoint being progression-free survival. And again, if we look at the patient characteristics, we can see history again, uh, a greater uh, number here in the ozimertinib versus bevacizumab arm, which standard monotherapy arm. So you need to bear that in mind when you're looking at the results. And again, um, the efficacy, definitely um, confidence in, um, interval crosses one and therefore not statistically significant. When you try and cut the data, bevacizumab doesn't seem to be adding uh, a significant, um, statistically significant amount here, but there seems to be other smokers, which was a higher population in this group. And then when you look at it with regards to mutation, there isn't particularly um, addition to do better in exon um, 19 deletions, but again, not statistically significant. Um, we all know that Far Eastern patients uh, have more toxicity with EGFR TKIs, and they see a lot of pneumonitis with osimertinib of pneumonitis in Japanese patients, fairly high for single agent osimertinib. But when you add osimertinib and so there must be some inflammatory component which bevacizumab seems to reduce. And again, no great, no new safety signals, nosebleeds and proteinuria with the bevacizumab arm. Okay, so um, discussion here about why we think there may be some differences in this VEGF antibody activity with EGFR mutants, and she posed whether it was the thing that sets those two groups of patients apart. And then she went through some um, of the date, other data with VEGF antibodies. Great advantage to adding in um, bevacizumab here to T EGFR TKIs. So now we move to post So we know that osimertinib um, uh, we get a different mutational um, resistance mutations after mutations at 15% or the point mutations at EG, other EGFR mutations of which the C797 giving you a little bit of 
background to the next study, the chrysalis study, which again Natasha Lee presented, uh, Amivantanab and Lazertinib, which has already been licensed uh, in the US for EGFR exon 20 insertions in non-small cell lung cancer. Second, EGFR TKI, which uh, everyone is looking to uh, for effect. And of course, if you look at the preclinical model with regards um, uh, tumor growth compared to either of those um, uh, agents given on the ozimertinib failure. I mean, I'm going to give you a two minute warning. Okay, right. Okay, so we're going to uh, go on quickly then looking at these two cohorts. Uh, so monotherapy and uh, combination therapy. And particularly in the combination arm where you're looking at 5.6 months of median time on treatment and then 60 in the CNS, which is always important. The same um, study looked at another cohort, which was heavily platinum treated cohort here. And again, you know, this is very heavy treated population get, getting very good, um, significant responses. So I think these are so, okay, we don't want to miss out on these sexy drugs, the ADC. So you all know we have an antibody which then is connected to a key problem is the linker. And there's, uh, the, you get to, the, uh, get to the cell and then the cytotoxicity is released into the cell in research at the moment. And the most common one that we're going to look at is trastuzumab deruxtecan in the post uh, and this is the destiny study. So this looked at HER2 mutated um, uh, cancers and giving heavily treated patients. And look at that waterfall plot. Looks like on target effect to me. And these are things that you need to look out for in phase three study. Just one more. And I just wanna show you this. Oh, sorry, one to, one to mention. Another ADC that we need to look at around, coming around the corner. This is looking at uh, agnostic trop expression in lung wart. And again, these are very heavily treated patients who are getting very good sustained responses. Atlanta studied negative using lerbidectinin and doxorubicin second line. Caspian um, study sustaining its improvement disease. We're all worried what we're going to do after ozimertinib and it looks like as if combination therapies around the corner probably need many that can occur. And of course, uh, antibody drug conjugates around the corner, which are intravenous. So really coming to me done, boss. Thank you very much, Semri. And uh, thank you for speaking through the end there. Apologies, you just want to make sure that time is equally divided, so attracting the attention. Uh, keep those questions coming, guys. And what we'll do is we will do them at the end of the three talks um, after Riaz's a bit, so we can. So finally, I'm going to ask Riaz, who is suffering um, from being a bit unwell the past couple of days. So I'm extremely grateful for him. And in fact, I'm extremely grateful to all of our speakers. It's trying to work out the relevant talks, do screenshots, bring them onto here. So I'm really grateful to all my three speakers, and particularly Riaz, who's going to be the last and is going to take us on the final tour of the abstracts from Esmo and ASCO. Thank you, Riaz. Thank you, Tom. Good. I just want this, this talk is really relevant to UK practice. So if you're not in the UK, things I may say may not sound particularly relevant. Apologies in the UK, we're a, we're a conglomerate of several nations and there are some differences. I work in England and so I may say things particularly relevant to England location. I want to thank Takeda and Roche specifically for sponsoring me for registration for both these meetings. So let's crack on. Not working. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, so advanced uh, non-small cell lung cancer, um, and, but not really going to change your practice so you can relax. 
So this is Derva plus tremolumumab plus chemo in first-line treatment of metastatic non-small cell. Good performance status, treatment naive, randomized into three arms. At the bottom in red, we have what was considered standard at that time, chemotherapy, that was standard of care today. And the other two arms are interesting. One is the same chemotherapy with Dervalumab or the light blue. And the tremolumumab, importantly, was given for four treatments during chemo and then only a single treatment thereafter. So five treatments of uh, uh, the primary endpoint was the PFS in the uh, uh, the single agent IO, Derva Chemo. The, so the uh, groups are well balanced. The things I want to specifically point out to you that are about a quarter of patients in all the arms are never smokers. Liver mets in around 20%. Uh, and this is the bottom uh, line, the primary endpoint. So on the left, PFS. Uh, you don't change very much the median from 4.8 to 5.5. But at 12 months the landmark goes to 24.4 physical significance with 29% of patients alive at 24 uh, months. Uh, the one that interests me, Derva plus Tremi, you'll see that it performs a little bit better. So this time PFS is significant and OSD 3% alive for overall survival. Um, you can see by histology that 41% of patients and squamous patients don't do as well, 26% alive. But I think what's noticeable is the difference between Dervalumab alone and Dervalumab. Now, let's just compare it to two other trials. So Keynote 189 on the left is non-squamous. 5% of patients were alive on the landmark. Obviously, this is quite mature data, but if you go back to this Poseidon study and look at the histology, a 24-month figure is reasonably mature. And if you look at squamous on the left, on the right, sorry, Keynote 407, so there isn't really a sense that the figures that we're seeing in Poseidon are very different from Keynote 189 or 407, raising questions about whether this is the cost of the treatment. <clears throat> What about other trials of CTLA-4 non-small cells? So Checkmate 227 is the classic one where you see nivo ipi compared to NIVO. There isn't much difference, but always a suggestion that the CTLA-4 component adds a little bit more. But the question in another key study uh, that was presented recently at World Lung last year was the Keynote 598 study in high pd one well, flat as a pancake, frankly. Now, I want to park that to one side. It's an interesting study. I don't think it changes practice immediately. Interesting. So OSE2101 is a vaccine, right? And this is a vaccine to five, um, to nine peptide epitopes combined in a vaccine. And they did this randomized trial called Atlant1. And these are in patients who've wild type for EGFR and ALK. And they basically were randomized two to one. They had to have IO as the last line of therapy, cetaxel or pemetrexed. And so it's given three weekly for six injections, then eight weekly for a year, and then once every three months for survival. Now, because of the pandemic, they had to shut this vaccine study down. And what they did is an analysis of a specific subgroup of patients. So patients who had done well on IO had had it for more than 12 weeks and then progressed. And what you see here is a survival, quite a significant hazard ratio. Across, work seems to work across all subgroups. So interesting, it's not practice changing for now. It's just something of chemo first, then IO, not chemo IO. So there's a question mark over the applicability of this, but I thought that was just really interesting to see a cancer. Um, and the other thing that was interesting is they actually had good, robust evidence showing the time to deterioration and performance status was, was better and toxicity seemed acceptable. 
And then another study that I thought was interesting in post-IO was a TKI. Uh, and it's a multi-targeted antikinase TKI. And this is all to do with an immunosuppressive tumor that's working, stops working because the tumor microenvironment becomes IO resistant. And then the tumor starts to progress. So there are multiple, there's a multi-kinase TKI that targets several key receptors that are thought to be important in that process. And so in this study, um, uh, it's a straight phase two study where advanced patients, um, 68 patients who have disease get citrofatinib plus nivolumab. And what you can see is that most of these patients had um, a, a previous treatment and many of them have had a PR or stable disease. In fact, all of them did. Um, and this is the swimmer's plot. And what you see, there was a durable response that went on for some time. Um, and the PFS curve looks good. 45% of patients still progression free. This is the OS curve, 32% of patients alive at 24 months. So very, very interesting, um, but basically a very interesting study. And there's a randomized study going on called Sapphire 3 that will uh, really tell us whether this is something OIO who are progressing. Um, we've used up all our options. We start running out. Uh, and so this is great stuff. Nice trial here, binding agent. Dublin 3 is a straight randomized trial, docetaxel plus plenabulin versus docetaxel plus placebo, 9.4 to 10.5 months. So it's not a huge change. But what was interesting is look at the 24-month landmark. Uh, almost double the patients, 10% of patients with plenabulin were still alive. And it also significantly reduces your chances of getting grade 4 neutropenia compared to docetaxel. Power 010, I mean, this trial has had data presented at World Lung and ESMO and ASCO, the series of presentations, positive and statistically significant in their hierarchical statistical design. So this is one year of adjuvant atezolizumab after adjuvant presentations that were more recent was this, the pdl one split. And what you see is the maximum benefit of adjuvant IO seems to be centered, this will be as per the trial design, greater than 1%. So we have to have an internal discussion, I think, as oncologists as to whether we think someone's uh, that's been published in the uh, Lancet as a result of the presentation at ESMO last week. Notable that only 32% of as to whether the control arm was undertreated post-study. There are lots of other adjuvant IO trials that are going to report. Quick whiz, palbociclib, straight phase two, interesting data, median PFS of 11 months, median OS of 26 month cancers, predominantly B3 and C. Um, this is the waterfall plot, looks interesting. So obviously, I mean, this is a tumor size, but here's some data showing that Palvo seems to have some activity. And then there was the NIVO-Thyme study, EORTC, ETOPS, Zivolumab, and some have got NIVO-IPI. They've only presented the patients that had nivolumab. The study failed in its primary endpoint because the, the measure, but the success rates they, they found by central review was 35% and 39% by local investigator. But there is some... Moving lastly to mesothelioma, Checkmate 743, registration study, NIVO, ICI versus standard chemo. We know over, um, they just presented some three-year update of OS and you see that it looks good. I think what's interesting is it seems that non-epithelioids seem to benefit hugely and there's a question mark over the pdl one negative patients. And I would refer you to the EPAR, there's a huge wealth of information that it ha isn't otherwise in the public domain look where it shows you the OS plots and the PFS plots by PFS by 
in PDL1, less than 1% of patients. And you see the NIVO-IPI arm really, really seems to underperform. So you could argue whether um, in histology as well, there's some interesting data with epithelioid versus non-epithelioid. Uh, all the data is in. Uh, should nivo be restricted by PDL1? Should it be restricted by histology? I would refer you in the same EPAR document to the 24 missing. So even despite uh, poor PFS data, it seems to change the biology of the disease and deliver sustained survival. Thank you, Riaz. That was a characteristic tour de force. And thank you to all of our three speakers. Uh, the miracle that is the iPhone. Uh, first question to you, David. Um, did Pacific R uh, present results on EGFR mutations of um, the Badimab as we're allowed to do currently in NHS uh, rules? Was it uh, better than you thought? Was it a bit disappointing? Presentation, I don't think so, but um, they certainly didn't present any um, PFS subgroups on, on mutations. Was, does it change? What's your general view on Pacific R? Did it reinforce, did it, was oh, yes, it encouraging? I was it disappointing? Oh, no, I think you do acknowledge, but and the important thing was that it was real world data, so you could argue that um, patients were maybe not as a trial, um, but also um, the, the numbers were were very, very large. And so um, I think it does does uh, um, a field. Thank you. Um, question about lung art, um, a great study, and I think really has been practice changing. Uh, or is it just that the wrong dose was used and therefore it was causing this increased mortality? If only one could find a better uh, fractionation. Um, really good question. And, and I think it, it is um, subject of, uh, that we could debate because your presentations looking at the finesse of what uh, is actually causing um, cardiac death. And mapping, instead of when we when when as clinical oncologists we just draw the heart, we and say more finessed and and look at the um, particular anatomy of the heart with reference to the base of the heart and the corner. Uh, radiotherapy plan either using protons or photons that really reduces the dose to the what we are beginning to understand of the was significantly lower. Thank you very much. Um, question for Samarine. Um, PN study, what impact do you think that had on trial outcomes from Dr. Anonymous? Poseidon was for... Um... Apologies, we asked Poseidon, you're quite right. EU trial. I wasn't concentrating. Well, I mean, you know, I've done to a very, very high standard. Um, I was surprised by the number of Nova smokers in it. Um, um, you know, it might, uh, exactly what I said, you know, if it, you could, I mean, the data's the data. I, I don't see how, I mean, I don't think Eastern Europeans are particularly different from Western Europeans. Data um, from Caspian with the Tremé arm, looking at the data you've just seen with Riaz has shown us from Poisson, or does it still have a, have a role somewhere? Well, in small cell lung cancer, I would definitively say that if you're causing 10% of, would you give that when you can give a much less better eff effective treatment with Devalimab mm. and chemo alone? So that's mm. small cell, not maybe a small cohort of patients. And it's all about biomarkers, isn't it? It's all about selection. So I'm sure there are the addition of CTLA-4 and as yet, we just don't know who that group is. Yeah. And 
EGFRTK have a love of a lot of Nibbin RAM, RAM and Serumab, which is licensed and indeed um, Bev is, is licensed in combination with, with a lot of Nib. Oh, are, are, you, um, are you disappointed by the lack of OS benefits? And do you think there's anything in this um, genic to TKI? It's with a lot of Nib but not with Ozimertinib. What's all that about? Um, so if I just remind you about the Beverly Suzumab versus Alotinib alone, right? So there were smokers who had advantage to Bevacizumab. So you could argue whether often are the same cohort. So you don't know whether it's their phenotype or their geno gen genomic um, uh, look at Ozimertinib and Bevacizumab. I don't think there's any advantage at all, apart from the pneumonitis risk. And this is exclusively in Caucasian populations, better, very much more heterogeneous in terms of EGF. EGFR mutants, we don't know whether they'll. Um, right, let's on to you uh, properly this time. First of all, someone said shout out for Sapphire trial, trial which the Citravatin Medical Sapphire Centre is there. We had a question for you regarding Empower 10, um, and the obvious question, uh, which we all want to know is you're in clinic, surgery, had management chemo, they've got a PDL1 of let's say 10%. Are you going to be often magic with the TZO, or is that hazard ratio of 0.8? Yeah, well, I think this whole we're have, we're entering a new era in uh, thoracic oncology of this argument raging with adjuvant OSI. Um, and um, look, if you're a if you're a purist, you'd say, well, without owing adjuvant treatments to patients, uh, my experience is that you just got to have that conversation. Actually, when you sit patients down and walk them through the longest time, because they're very very complicated about risk and is it really worthwhile. Um, I mean, I think it's a disease, you know, we've got a high PDL one patient getting one year of adjuvant Atizo, then not being able to access IO on reinissue Western world. It's a huge issue for us. So I've got huge concerns about our um, disadvantage patients further down the line. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if the PDL one is less than 50%, it may delay relapse, it, you know, by a modest amount. Um, and you've got to have that discussion between, uh, with a patient about this is the toxicity profile. Um, it's not an easy question to answer, you know. Not about it. Um, David, going back to your um, yeah. SRS versus RFA uh, study, which was very interesting, as you say, they, they've, in, in, uh, in the MDT, in your MDT, um, do you have both those modalities available? And how do you choose between them? What, what practically speaking, is well. I think the big issue uh, regarding um, <clears throat> ablative therapies will be local availability across all four nations. I'm hoping that the availability of Sabre is, is no longer an issue, that everyone who needs S until quite recently. Um, RFA or microwave ablation or other forms of um, ablation, I think are very and centre dependent. And so there are many centres that just cannot or uh, don't have the ability to offer the populations. Uh, in our own MDT, um, Sabre is readily and freely available and uh, you know we that is our default. Um, RFA, we would perhaps um, consider it in patients' uh, worries uh, or have been very, it's just if they've got another lesion which has occurred um, in pr close proximity to an MDT, it, it, it's um, it's not the default um, um, ablative therapy. It's something that we would use in very. Thank you.
Um, so I mean, maybe finishing up on you, um, antibody drug conjugates, um, Duraxtacan, um, that was a headline, one headline news in lung cancer. You were saying to us before the, the broadcast, massive news in breast cancer in, in their data, particularly the lung patients of concern about pneumonitis. Tell us a little bit about pneumonitis and tell us a little bit about um, how one might assess patients and how you view that. Um, the group of oncologists who know and see pneumonitis most and we have the most access to, um, you know, forewarned um, and look, telling your patient early on, you know, if you get a cough, if you get it first, there are early pulmonary events that these occur. So just like TKIs, you tell them about cough, give them a, a, a card to earlier with steroids and oxygen and supportive therapies, pick it up later, the prognosis is much worse. So it's all about, you know, you as, you know, um, responses that we're seeing, it's almost certainly going to um, change the paradigm uh, for non-small cell lung cancer, the introduction of any, in any other group, but it is higher than chemotherapy. So you've got to be very careful about that, but it's about time so they can get urgent treatment. Thank you very much. I absolutely agree with you. I think it's fantastic data and very exciting. We hope that we will have access to those. If you your questions through, I haven't answered all of them. I do appreciate, uh, but uh, we always think it's important to cut this down to, to an hour to keep it efficient. I'd like David Gilligan, Samri Nawai, and of course, Ria Shah. Um, please fill out your feedback. Otherwise, uh, we will get beaten up by dawn. And that's really upsetting. Media, uh, Richard Belch is up for an award. I don't quite know, Richard, how people are able to vote for you and say that you're magnificent. But there's some kind of people that so I don't know if you can put that on a chat or, or what, uh, but we would love people to support Richard and his colleagues if you felt that they have provided a good the last couple. I don't know, Richard, if you can share the slides just for the upcoming um, webinars. So we've got a couple of things coming up a uh, week after next. We've October, uh, uh, I think I should go to so I can learn some brain therapy, but I think it'd be too advanced for me. Um, and the day after, Friday the 8th, involved in the Lung MDT in any capacity, whether you are chairing it or you're new to the MDT or you want to improve your MDT, um, that is a half-day affair, 9.30 till uh, 3.20. So if you'd like to be part of those, then please do uh, register with the, we wish you a lovely evening. Good night.